Good evening, everyone. I'm Christopher Tennant, director of Thrive Mahoning Valley and new member of the City Club's Advisory Committee. Thank you, thank you. Welcome to another Views and Brews at Susie's. First, I would like to ask uh, members of the Advisory Committee to stand and be recognized. I know I saw Sherry Harrell, Phil Kids here I saw, uh, Terry Coonan, I saw you, Terry. <laughs> Uh, Tim Francisco is here. Uh, some of other members who couldn't attend tonight, Gary Sexton, Hunter Morrison, Jason Roller, Lewis Macklin, Sarah Lowry, and Alyssa Briggs. Uh, also want to recognize our executive director, Lynn Bilal. <laughs> and our other new member, uh, one of our panelists today, Carmela Williams. Although Stephanie Jansky and Dan Malthrop, who are from our parent organization, the City Club of Cleveland, could not be here, know that they have been busy assisting behind the scenes, and so I'd like to recognize them as well. Thanks to Youngstown State University, the Raymond John Wien Foundation, and the Community Foundation of the Mahoning Valley for sponsoring City Club events, including this one. Also, a big thank you to Susie's Dogs and Drafts for hosting our discussion, and thanks to the Views and Bruce partners, YSU Working Class Studies, and WYSU. A couple things to put on your calendar. Uh, the June Views and Bruce will be Monday, June 18th, and will be a panel discussion on placemaking. Uh, on June 25th, we will have our main stage forum entitled State of the Valley. Uh, this will take place at Packard Music Hall. Check out our website, cityclub.org, or Facebook for details on times and tickets for these events. At this time, I would also like to invite you all to join us and become members of the City Club of Youngstown. You can come right up to this table afterwards and get one of these great pamphlets right here. It explains how to join, explains the levels, and uh, you could even fill out this form to join. Or you can go to our website, cityclub.org. Click on membership for more information there as well. There are a lot of great exclusive benefits to joining, including this beautiful pin here. You see that? <laughs> Finally, I want to briefly give you a setup for tonight's uh, panel discussion. Our moderator is Jenna Petrola. From, uh, she's Economic Development Planner for Eastgate Regional Council of Governments. She will put questions uh, to our guests for about a half an hour. The second half hour will be for our audience questions and interaction. We will ask that you line up right here at this mic uh, at the appropriate time. Be brief and to the point with your questions so we can get to as many as possible. We ask that it is a question, not a statement, not a speech, but a question, and that it is on topic. We also ask that after you ask your question, uh, you please step aside so the next audience member can ask their question. Also, as always, please remember that the City Club is all about open and civil civic dialogue. I will turn the proceedings over to our moderator, Jenna Petrola. Thanks, Chris. I have to stand to do this because I've wanted to do this basically my entire adult life. So we'll get our conversation started. Welcome to the City Club of the Mahoning Valley and let's let the conversation begin. Thanks very much. My name is Jenna Petrola. I work with Eastgate Regional Council of Governments as an economic development planner. Um, I am honored to share the stage um, with the three folks to my left. I will let them introduce themselves if y'all can state your name. Um, and what you do and why you're here, and then we will get into some of our discussion. So I'll start with Carmela. Hi, I'm Carmela Williams. By day, I am the Director of Diversity and Inclusion at Youngstown um, Business Incubator, and where I run the Minority Business Assistance Center and the Women in Entrepreneurship Program. When we're looking at YBI, we have increased our footprint in the valley, and we're excited to um, really bring our women and minorities to the forefront um, in the valley. By night, I'm an entrepreneur, or before seven and after, after six, um, I'm an entrepreneur. So I am the owner and kitchen chemist of Carmela Marie. We've been around since, for nearly five years. 
uh, 14 products in 11 boutique stores or salons sell our product across the country. So I am not just the typical business coach. I am also able to identify and currently work through our businesses because I am experiencing um, what they are currently trying to, you know, get through. Thank you. Hello, everyone. My name is Angel Cruz. I'm born and raised right here in Youngstown, Ohio. I'm a small business owner. I own Little Millie's Oven Fresh Pizza on South Avenue. Um, so we're all going there after we leave here. And uh, um, been in business since 1999 with my wife back there. Uh, we have uh, owned and operated about 10 businesses since 1999. Downsized, we have one business now. I'm here to, to uh, uh, give my perspective on... Uh, on, on what's going on tonight. So. Good evening, everybody. I am Kevin Olin, and I am the vice president um, at a place called the Fund for Economic Future. It seems really loud. And on nights, I double as a Britney Spears uh, performer. <laughs> okay. um, but really, it's an honor to be here. And I think one of the reasons that the invitation was extended was... We sit in a really interesting moment as a nation, as a region, and the question that sits before us is a fundamental one. And we've recently released a report that I would encourage people to pick up. There's a stack of them over here. We published a report called The Two Tomorrows. And what we offer is a challenge to the region that says, average is a choice, so is extraordinary. And how might we come together as a community and as a region to choose extraordinary with intentionality and to do it together. Um, so I'll get more into that in a minute. Thank yeah. you. Thank you all for being here. So the topic of our conversation tonight is basically surrounding the resurgence of this region where we live, which has been called the Rust Belt for so many years. Um, we're talking about who is really benefiting from the things that are happening around us. We've seen a lot. Um, I'm back in the Valley after being away for a while, and I've never felt like I've been in the right place at the right time, but there's lots of really exciting new developments, um, lots of things happening at YBI, um, its sister organization, the Tech Belt Energy Innovation Center over in Warren. Um, we'd like to get started um, by asking some questions of our panelists about how this is affecting our community at large, who is seeing the benefits of our resurgence, how can we all work together, as in those of us in this room doing this for our job, and those of us in this room who live here and want to be part of something greater, as Kevin said, um, how can we support uh, an inclusive um, new era for the Mahoning Valley? So I'll ask a few questions to start. Um, I will start with Kevin. Uh, Kevin, thanks for taking the trip down here. And again, want to reiterate, please pick up, if you haven't read it yet, uh, the two tomorrows. There's a couple over there. A lot of that is guiding um, our work. But... Can you please describe to folks other than the practitioners in the room um, our current economic landscape in the Mahoning Valley, basically kind of in layperson's terms, what, what kind of drove you guys to uh, write the two tomorrows? Sure. Well, I think that there's a couple pieces that uh, to frame up, this is not just uh, a report for the Mahoning Valley. And frankly, although it's designed for Northeast Ohio, I think a lot of these principles apply nationally. But what we see nationally and bringing it regionally and then locally is that we're seeing growth, which is important to note, right? Um, we're seeing some resurgence in some cases. But the question that's fundamentally facing us is for who? So when we talk about opportunity and we talk about economic opportunity, the question of for who gets answered in a really problematic ways at times. Because what we see is a tale of two cities, uh, a tale of two regions. And so we can take both the reality that there are some important developments that we should celebrate as a community. But there's also some really tough questions to ask that sit underneath what that champion that we all want to be, but truly calibrate who and what we are against the facts on the ground. And so what you've seen, um, you know, play out across uh, post-2008 was a recovery. But you look at how we compare as a region in the Valley particularly against peer metropolitan statistical areas, and we're falling behind. 
And so how do we square the two facts that there is demonstrable growth happening, new development happening, but yet we see increasing concentrations of poverty? And we see more of our residents living in deeper concentrations of poverty. And so we took, as a fund, a hard example of, frankly, ourselves to say, what does that look like for us in our operation? So we have a number of really impressive economic development organization metrics, right? Uh, most economic development organizations pray, at the gods, pray to the gods of jobs, payroll, and capital. And so we've seen some really strong outputs in each one of those categories. However, to my earlier point, we've also seen concurrent greater racial wealth divide. We've seen, as I mentioned, concentrations of poverty. And we've seen the increase in low-wage sectors that a disproportionate number of our residents are working in. So what might we do about that? And so I think part of the answer here locally, when we look at the Valley, there's some amazing assets, whether it's Youngstown Business Incubator, whether it's a great pizza shop up the street, uh, whether when we look underneath and see America Makes as an additive manufacturing asset in the region, there's some really exciting aspects that are here. But concurrent to those potential options, the question of who has access to those options and what role does something like transportation play on how we connect our citizens to economic opportunity? And until we grapple with those and other questions, we are concerned about seeing our economic competitiveness with other similar cities getting worse. We could still celebrate flashes of wins and flashes of development, but is it enduring? Does it apply to all of our residents? And how do we make sure that we're tending to the underlying economics that make this city and this community thrive? And that's you know, what's called for in this report. Thank you, Kevin. And I'd like to take that question just a, a step further um, with Angel and Car uh, Carmela. When you look at um, studies like this one that kind of show these disparities between white residents and residents of color, you know, Kevin mentioned transportation. Um, what do you feel um, both Angel and Carmela, what do you feel is the main barrier to prosperity that communities of color in the Mahoning Valley um, are facing? So I know that's a really big one to start off the night. Sorry about that, but I think it'll help us define the rest of the evening's conversation. Um, I would say a lot of times what I see with uh, especially our construction companies that are minorities is they have the skill set, they bid on jobs in the Youngstown area, but they rarely get any of them. And this is the same story that has been going on. I can say that for the same thing for um, my, one of my mentors, Mr. Pincham. He came back from the war. He had skill. He could run, he could, do a, he could work for any telecommunications company, but he wouldn't get hired because he was black. So I feel as if there's a lot of, we've always given it to, I'm gonna use the word Bob. We're always giving it to Bob, so Bob always gets the contract. We know Bob can get the work done. So a lot of the times it's just a, about actually looking at do they have the skill set and let's give them the opportunity. Because at one particular point in history, um, we won't go into that, but people were given opportunity even when they didn't have the skill set available to them. So we, and I, I've, I see it, it's still happening. Um, I, and I always say, all the minority community needs is space and opportunity because the skill set is there. Angel, would you like to follow up on that with anything as far as what you perceive as the main barrier is um, through some of these studies about our wealth and income disparities between, uh, with communities of color? Yeah, from my perspective, what I see here is, um, uh, I'll give you an example. Uh, I got into management probably at the right age of about 21 years old. And uh, there was a, a young black man that was training me. And one of the first things he told me was, as a minority, uh, to be successful in business, you got to work twice as hard. That's what he told me. So I always did work twice as hard, and I did get to where I was going. But I think there's another thing that, that holds us as minorities back. And that's the fact that we don't know we can. For a lot of the young minorities, um, they think they can't. 
they don't understand, and speaking of Youngstown, I'm going to talk about Youngstown. There's a lot of, lot of minorities here, both Latin, Latinos, black, um, of all different uh, cultures, that this is all they see. You know, these kids walk to school, and they walk through glass. They walk past abandoned buildings, uncut grass. Sometimes they don't know where they're going to get their next meal at. So how can they see being a CEO? How can they see being a college graduate? A lot of them can't see that. And I think that's one of the, one of the largest barriers that I see in this city is that us minorities, and hell, all of us, we have to know that we can. And once you get that in your head, there's nothing that can stop you. Not a color, not a race, nothing. Can I add something to Of course. You? And I also think that, um, and this is for me first and then for everybody else, when we, when I, I'm talking about me, so when we get in positions of power that we can help somebody else, Absolutely. then we Absolutely. have to go back and help somebody else, Absolutely. right? So just for an example, Absolutely. we have American Makes at YBI, and I always ask the question, I look at who's, who's actually accessing the services there, and it, there's no one of, of color. So what I did was something as simple as, here is a small introductory class to 3D printing and sent it out to all of my clientele. And the excitement that I got and the number of people that were registered were amazing. So sometimes it's just about passing on the information and then letting them see that there is access. Because a lot of times, sometimes you don't know. And what you don't know can actually be detrimental to your future. Um, I want to move on to Angel. We'll do a question of each panelist and then kind of talk to the three of them following that. And then I have a couple for, for all three, and then we'll get to you guys. So um, following along kind of with that conversation, there's a whole lot of conversation in academic studies around kind of the psychology of exclusion, what you can grow up to be when you see this continued disinvestment in front of you every day. I want to hear more about your, your journey, um, what made you decide to go from that career in management to being an entrepreneur and starting your own business, what your work life was like, and the most important thing probably to me and a lot of people in this room that are working in, in this sphere of kind of constructing this, this ecosystem for small businesses, did you feel supported? Um, while you were doing that? Did you seek um, financial and technical assistance? And what, what challenges did you have, Angel, when you were kind of coming, coming up through that? Well, the main reason I got into business by myself was because I got fired from every other job. No, I'm just playing. I, did, I really did. I did good. I made, a, I made a lot of people a lot of money. And, uh, you know, as I was making these people all of this money, um, when I was a repo guy, I was a collector, I was in sales, but just making them tons of money. And I wasn't making none. You know, they, weren't, they weren't dispersing that money down. They weren't giving me any. So finally, I just said, you know, I'm tired of making people money. Um, it's time for me to make something for myself. So the opportunity presented itself, and, uh, and I went for it. Um, it was crazy. My very first, my wife was sitting back there, she remember our very first day in business. I, I left the job. I was making six figures. Um, I wanted more. Left that, went to open our own business, and our first day, we did $38. <laughs> yeah. So I asked myself why at that time, too. But uh, no, it was because I, I, I felt that I could do better. You know, you, you work for somebody, and you make them a ton of money, and they come in, disrespect you, or you know, just, just don't treat you right. So I felt that was for me. You know, I, I felt I could do better. Um, uh, my work life now, it's, it's uh, uh, we, we have a business in Youngstown. So it is, it has challenges. Um, I don't know how many people are in here from Youngstown. Raise your hand, how many from Youngstown? Youngstown is coming a long way. It, it has. Um, we have a, a business on South Avenue, corner of South Avenue in Indianola. And uh, we've seen a lot. I actually, when I bought that pizza shop, I didn't want it. Um, I got it because the person I bought it from had just shot somebody inside the pizza shop who was trying to rob them. And uh, so I bought it cheap, you know. 
And I tried to sell it. I tried to sell that pizza shop in Youngstown. And uh, I had other pizza shops in different areas. And I remember I put it in the paper, and people would call, and they would ask about the pizza shop. And they would ask where this pizza shop was at. And when I'd tell them, I'd hear a click. And I'd be like, hello, hello. They, they didn't want it. Um, it turned out to be, believe it or not, that that store turned out to be our greatest location. And it's the only one that I kept. Um, even though the adversity, like, you know, yeah, there is. There's a lot, of, it's a lot of rough stuff going on in Youngstown. But um, the majority of people in Youngstown are good. Uh, you see the news calls on. Uh, they, 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 they're going to get the attention from all the, the bad things that happen. I understand that. But, um, you know, I see people walk in. You know, you see a kid walk into the pizza shop, see pants sagging down. You see a little swag. And he walk up to the counter. You think, oh, my goodness. You know, and he says, how you doing, sir? You know, when you're out here in Youngstown, look around a little bit. Look a little bit closer. Don't just look at the broken windows. I mean, I know there are a lot, but uh, um, I know I got a little bit off the subject of work life, but, you know, that is work life in Youngstown, you know. So uh, have confidence if you're in, from Youngstown. And if you're not from Youngstown, you need to come back to Youngstown. You need to check out Youngstown. Um, as far as support, uh, I'll give you an example on support. Uh, 1999, my wife and I, we got our first pizza shop. $38 the first day. Within two years, we were doing close to a million dollars in pizza. I opened up a car lot. I wanted to expand my car lot. I went to uh, the city, uh, Trumbull County, it was Trumbull County, and I jumped through all the hoops, got the business plan. I did the, 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 the flow, sh I did everything they asked me to do. I'm not highly educated, but I did everything they asked me to do. I hired somebody to help me do it. And when I got there and presented my report, everything they asked me to do, they told me, no, they wouldn't give me any help because part of my, because part of my plan was a tow truck. I had a, a buy here, pay here car lot. I sold cars to people who might not be able to get traditional financing. Because I wanted a tow truck, and I told them it could possibly be used for repossession, they told me they wouldn't give me any money at all. So after that, I said, you know what? Me and my wife talked about it. We said, we'll do it on our own. And that's what we have done. We've, we've done everything on our own because we didn't feel that, um, we didn't feel that anybody wanted to give us any help. We, we really didn't. I think sometimes that happens and something that you know, is in the report and something that we are working on as a team here in the Valley is mm -hmm. focusing on kind of like that neighborhood level entrepreneurship not just you know, the high-tech startups, and we'll get into that a little bit later. Um, if, if Kevin and Carmela, if you would feel, if you could weigh in on you know, what does a successful entrepreneurial ecosystem that would help uh, somebody with an idea and with, um, with the plans to service his neighborhood, such as Angel had, what does that look like? How do we turn entrepreneurship into something um, that's inclusive and not only you know, a, a buzzword or something that isn't attainable for everybody unless you're you know, in a high-tech or um, energy creation field? So either of you can start. Would you like to start, Kevin? Okay, so thank you. I'll, I'll jump in really quickly, and, and there's a couple points I think are important, and I'll answer the question through way of a little bit of personal narrative. So I moved to Northeast Ohio seven and a half years ago uh, from a place, a little town called uh, San Francisco, California. And, a little town. Uh, and had an opportunity to really look at this region in its entirety and really see assets. And so my wife had accepted a position doing some critically important equity work in the healthcare industry. And so I came along for the ride and was trying to find where my professional work was best suited. And I found my way to education. And so I opened up a middle school um, in, in Cleveland called Citizens Leadership Academy. And side note, my founding class are walking across the stage this weekend and next, uh, graduating high school. Um, but I think, 
part of the answer to your question is recognizing something that I think is really important. You've said a lot of things important, but two that I teased out from listening was that young man that may not show up, like Kevin with a tie, or may not speak the king's English, but actually has untapped economic potential, that has wild ability to make this area thrive, but so often we stop at how the physical presentation of a student is. And then the second piece is that you're talking about a car dealership without having access to traditional financing. And those two points are connected. So how our institutions, be it the financial institutions, be it our healthcare institutions, see people of color, may be implicit, it may be explicit, but so often how that shows up is preventing somebody that's walking up to that counter it shows up in somebody calling the police on somebody sitting peacefully at the table. And these are some of the undercurrents that happen, that when you ask the question, what does a healthy ecosystem look like? For folks, and my students that walk down the street every day through similar circumstances, haven't seen a world built for them. And if you were to like close your eyes and think about what that means to you, if every day, all day, you look at an environment that isn't made for you, that doesn't meet you where you're at or doesn't welcome you, then when you're asked, what does entrepreneurship mean? They say, well, that's not for me. But you should look at my side hustle over here and look what I have going on on A, B, C, and D. And be that words, be that labels, but we have to tend to the underlying circumstance, which is for far too long, there have been systems that have perpetuated a tale of two cities what systems and resources are available to whom. And when you look at our young folk that see that old way of doing things, and then they see what's possible for them, I think that's part of the answer of what is needed to have a more inclusive entrepreneurial ecosystem, is to stop using words like entrepreneurial ecosystem and really meet folks where they're at and say, here's the skills that you have, here's what the world needs from you, and here's how together we might do it. But it's that word together, and that's that word we, that actually helps see ourselves, and especially the next generation that's coming up, to see their way to a more inclusive environment. I think that goes really well into, I was going to ask you to kind of follow in on that, but that goes right into, I don't know if you all know this, but I am like in the Carmela Williams fan club and army, so I'm like sweating sitting next to her, because I simply adore her. Let's talk about the work that you're doing with regard to bringing folks that might not be into, I never thought I would use buzzwords, but I'm doing it into that kind of self-starting entrepreneurial kind of situation where they could choose another path for their life. If you could talk about your work at the YBI with diversity and inclusion, your work with the WE program, you know, Kevin said WE, us, those are the words together that we need to use, and your work um, recently bringing the Minority Business Assistance Center there. Talk about how that is... Uh, opening more doors for more of our neighbors. So one thing about, um, we under, so that they always say, you know, the minority community doesn't have access to capital, the, the credit scores are, are, are not the best, you know, they don't have the skill, there's the skill set, you, you go in with this kind of, these thoughts in the back of your mind. And I think the thing that our program does differently is that everybody's idea is valid and you deserve to win and you deserve to be here, and YBI is that place for you. So first we have to validate who they are. Um, and the reason why I do that is because as an entrepreneur, I needed that same validation. People in the room, you need that same validation, and it starts just that small. So once we get them to see that they deserve to be here and they have the ability to win, my background, I am a hustler next to none. I can sell a sock to a horse. Like, if you tell me no on this end, and we've had it. So, you know, they go get a loan, they tell them no, I will find another place. We have had people, uh, there's a Hebrew Free Loan Association found this. They said that, you know, my credit score rating is too low. I, have a, I know a place where you can go where the credit score is low as 500, and you can get a loan to get you to that next step, right? So, um, if... And up here, we all three of us are entrepreneurs, and I think that's what separates especially um, us from that, from when we're talking about this today, is because when, they, when it says no here, somebody else is going to tell you yes, but you just have to go far enough to do that. So at YVI, um, 
we, our goal is to help you help yourself, okay? Um, I know um, if you would have came to me and we've had the same situation. Um, yeah, I know you are. <laughs> when you, when I, if, when, right? So um, we had a situation, young lady walks in, she's been getting business counseling, she wants to get a $300,000 loan, she's making 50000 a year, the revenues don't add up, and whoever was counseling her was leading her on. So how do we break it down to be realistic? Because the, the, the key that we have to look at is building capacity. Because for so long, the minority business community has been ignored. So how can we build capacity to where you can get from point A to point B to point C, D, E, F, G, and not just skipping from A to Z? And that's what we call being real and keeping it all the way real. Because we know that if you can get one level of success, that's gonna jump you to the next level. Because no matter how many times I know you get told no, that one yes is the, you forget about all the no's. So um, that's where, that's my difference and how we run our program is building capacity um, and always looking for more resources to really help the minority business community. Um, did I answer that? Yeah, okay. I think, I think you did a great job. Um, as we're kind of moving the conversation along, you know, this is a really broad topic and tonight, you know, we've talked a lot about entrepreneurship based on the fact that we have two entrepreneur, three entrepreneurs essentially on our panel. Um, but we want to kind of maybe talk a little bit more about um, this whole, who, who is benefiting, benefiting from the positive developments in our area and what, what is next for the Mahoning Valley. Um, so this is a big one. Um, I'm just, I think I'm just sweating in general at this point, but um, for all three of you, um, what do you feel is holding our valley back with regard to uh, civic leadership and commitment to diversity and inclusion? Uh, how important is diversity and representation in political office and boardrooms uh, for creating change? And what can our existing civic leaders in the room, hello everyone, um, do to support progress and prosperity for our underrepresented folks. Uh, I'll start off. And we'll have to do this quickly, because we we're gonna go to audience next. I'm really just thinking I can keep everybody here all night, sorry, it's not my house, sorry. <laughs> really, really quick, when you're planning, don't plan with diversity on the back end, plan it on the front end, and that is the key. Um, if you haven't asked are all the people who are supposed to be in the room, then you're not being inclusive. So inclusivity is actually including, not on the back end, but on the front end, and not just for the, fa this, this, the sake of saying I did it, but actually being intentional about what you're doing. Thank you. Okay. Yeah, I think as far as uh, what, what's, holding, what's holding us back, and you said what's holding the minorities back from, um, yeah, I, I think, uh, I don't know, I, I could say in the city, I don't, I don't know. I, I think a lot of people are, are moving forward and, and taking, taking the reins and, and starting. Uh, you know, it used to be that uh, back in the day in the, in the city, uh, what was cool was to be gangster. Um, you still got that a little bit. But I think, was, I think it's changing now. I mean, you got people like Julius Oliver oh, yeah. on, on, you know what I'm saying? You got Anita Davis. You got, look at our mayor. You know, so I, I think, I think this, we're, at, we're at a point now where it's starting to change, um, where minorities are starting to see that they can make a difference, um, not just in their own households, but on their block, in their communities, in the state, in the country, in the world. So I, I, I do see that, you know, there are some things that's, that's holding back a little bit, but um, that tipping point, I believe, is here. I think it is. It's a yeah, good time so, uh, to be in the valley. Yeah, I'm gonna make it quick, but I think it's important how I come to this work and really what I want to make sure that we're framed around is that sometimes it's a it's a zero sum game, and people hear when there's you know people fighting over the little things, it's like why do they get an advantage? It should be all of us. I think that's a fair question, but I think a couple points just to to anchor questions around is that I'm a, can't help it. I'm a numbers guy, so I'm gonna give you a couple of stats I think are important. So when we look at premature birth rates in Youngstown, Ohio, we see a two times the premature birth rate for African-Americans than what we see in their white counterpart. Death by diabetes is similarly a 
times the rate for African Americans than their white counterparts. Individuals that are third graders that read below the proficiency rate, it's 3.2 times the white counterpart. African Americans with no high school diploma is two times the rate of their counterparts. And then criminal incarceration, it is 4.9 times the rate for African Americans than it is for the white counterparts. And I could go on and I have ad nauseum. And what each one of those examples are, those are cross systems. This isn't just a criminal justice issue. This isn't just a health issue. This disparate output appears in system after system. Now we can either ignore that or we could ask the question, what is the underlying circumstance that's producing that disparate output? And how might we think about that in harnessing this inflection moment? and challenging not to be at the programmatic level, and folks have heard me say that like, you know, I believe sometimes we have a tendency of spiking the football at the 50 yard line, and like nailed it, and see our mayor, we're good, racism's <laughs> over. Um, but the reality is the work is much harder, and it's much deeper, and it has a much longer history than we oftentimes give it airtime. And if we're ever going to actualize what our potential is as a region, as a city, we must embrace the underlying causes that create such significant disparities across all of the systems of our community. That's great, thank you. We're gonna move to the audience for questions. So if you do have a question, please come up to the microphone. Really quickly before we get to the audience, uh, on that term of those kind of underlying disparities, the things that we would need months to talk about, which, I mean, I don't really have a whole lot going on. I could do it, but... Um, about what is the underlying systemic effects of racial inclusion. I encourage you all to check out um, the racial equity and inclusion training at the Raymond John Wien Foundation. You can go to their website to learn more about that. And I encourage everybody in this room, if you haven't, I'm sure many of you have, uh, tell your friends and get on board the REI train. So please step up to the microphone. Yes, I'll, I'll address this uh, question to Kevin, but all of you um, can answer if you wish. Um, what role, Kevin, what role do you see from your research immigrants playing in uh, boosting up the economy around here? Because I know an in immigrant entrepreneur is more, uh, really embraces our values and really wants to hit the ground running and go, you know? Yeah. So... Um I'm not going to ask a question to the question asker, but it's important to reflect on when we define our values, what does that mean? And let's take a second to interrogate some of the words that we make on assumption to say, what does our values mean, and is that consistent? Um, but to answer your question in two parts, one is, there is no doubt a history in this country that points to the role that immigrants can and should play in having us collectively thrive. What I think is important to note that there is a whole suite of research that shows the economic impact positive to that effect that immigrants play in local communities. And that should no doubt be in the toolkit as we think about growing an economy. However, that said, as we think about the circumstances and conditions that we live in, we're not necessarily going to import our way out of some of those values that have created the inequity that we sit with today. So it is a powerful driver that I am really encouraging uh, our administration and others to understand uh, with detail, but I think it's an insufficient strategy in and of itself to address the circumstances that many of our demographics and our neighborhoods face every day. So you mentioned the statistic about uh, the rates of prison inmates between the white population and the colored population. So what to what effect does that do with the way we treat inmates after they're released from prison and the stigma of how felons are treated after being released from prison? How much of an effect does that have on the economic opportunity of those populations? Good question. So um, a gentleman walks into my office, um, proceeds to tell me he did not get a contract in the city, but got a, a million-dollar contract in Columbus to do some work, construction work. He then proceeds to tell me that he was locked up for 16 years in prison. And I was like, wow, okay, this is, welcome to my office, right? So I really believe that, and it was mentioned earlier that he didn't have to tell me that, 
but I also didn't treat him any different afterwards. Because at the end of the day, if we just treat each other as humans, um, we, can, we can overcome that versus just looking at the fact that they're incarcerated. You know, I, we don't take enough time to, to talk to people. We don't take enough time to get to know someone. And I think that is really the key for that. Yeah, and I'll also add to that, that was recently, it was re-entry week, um, actually re-entry month in April. And so I was speaking to a room of probably 250 uh, individuals in that profession in various ways. And I said, a show of hands, how many people can tell me, who can tell me how many people are in our community that have a criminal record? And of 200, 250 people, not one hand was raised. And why does that matter? Well, that matters is that we're not tracking something that is directly impacting, let's be myopic and wear my hat as an economist, that uh, it is impacting our economy. So the fund and our partners are inv involved right now in a very important statewide research campaign to get a sense of what is the calculation that's needed to be able to measure the entirety of a community. How many individuals from misdemeanor up to felony are living within our community? Question A. Question B, of all the jobs that have been open in the last year, five years, we can fill in the blank, how many of them preclude an individual that have a criminal record? And now let's quantify what that economic impact is to say if you have 10 people and you have 15 open jobs of which 10 don't allow anybody with a record, how are you going to fill all 15 jobs? And what does that ec cost economically to the region? And you know, shame on us as a state, and frankly, unfortunately, Ohio isn't alone in this. We keep abysmal records as it relates to individuals that are coming into and out of communities with criminal records. So we need to do a better job at measuring that. And we need to understand what that is impacting and how that's impacting our economic growth as a region. This is a tremendous discussion. Thank you all. Um, I'm a real enthusiast of small and local business. And I would love, um, would it be possible to have a directory of minority and women-owned business um, so that people like me can just find them right away? Uh, yes, so we have, there is a list online for NBEs, um, and we are currently putting a list of women entrepreneurs that have gone through our program on the YBI.org website. But if not, I can send out that to Lynn, and maybe Lynn can forward that information to everybody, and you all can see who we've helped. Yep, so make sure you sign up over here by uh, Christopher with the orange shirt, and, and we'll uh, get your email in there, and we'll get that out to you. Good question. Kevin, welcome to the Valley. Uh, as you know, uh, we all work together on a, on a big regional effort, uh, Vibrant Neo 2040, and one of the issues that was identified was access to, to jobs, by which we did not mean uh, workforce development as much as how do you get to the work that's there. And I noticed your report drills down on that, which is a very important aspect of that. Can you talk a little bit about what that means to the, to, to the situation generally, to be able to get by tra public transportation to job opportunities, and what can be done in the Mahoning Valley to make that possible, particularly in light of the state of Ohio's continued and persistent withdrawal from any engagement in support of public transit, because they do not understand that Transit is an economic development asset, not just a social service. And it's a social justice issue as well. So thank you for the question. I think there's a couple points. So the, the, the numbers are sobering. You look at an area like the Valley, and they're in the bottom quintile in pretty much every measure as it relates to jobs that are accessible within a commutable distance. Um, I was recently speaking uh, about the Valley and saying it was you know, roughly 2%, and I was rightly corrected to say when you actually correct for just the entire region, we're talking less than 1% of the workforce use public transportation to get to work. So let that sit in, right? So compare this to other areas in the nation and the region. Geez, it seems like we should be doing better than 1%. Um, secondly, when you then look at a really important statistic is when you measure the cost of living, so we kind of walk around with a little bit of swagger to say, hey, it's cheaper to do business here in the Valley or in Ohio. Move your business here. But when you increasingly look at 
cost of living isn't just about housing, it's about housing and transportation. And when you combine those two, it's a pretty shocking statistics. So you look at the place called New York City, if anybody has heard of it, it's you know, pretty expensive to live there, right? Well, the cost of housing and transit in New York City is less than in many cities, including some that I may be sitting in, in Northeast Ohio, and particularly when you measure housing and transit. So 27% of income in the Mahoning Valley is spent on transportation. You know what that number is in New York City? 9%. So New Yorkers spend 9% of their income getting to and from the grocery store, their work, etc. Whereas residents in the Valley are spending 27% of their income in order to get transit. That is a rate limiting factor and we will not be able to get economic growth if we have not tended to the underlying condition and the role that public transportation plays. So here I am, Debbie Downer, pointing at problems. I think the opportunity to answer your question around where the valley has some opportunity is when we think about the boundaries that exist, our mental boundaries, our state boundaries, our county boundaries. When we think of innovation and disruptive innovation and the role that it can play and better connecting people to jobs, if you've ever been waiting for a bus in a snowbank, it's not the greatest way to spend your day. Um, and using New York again, I lived there for a little bit, and trying to hail a cab back in the 90s was a difficult thing. Now there's technology that on the push of a button on your thumb, you can have a car pick you up from where you're at to get you where you need to go in a comparable way. The question facing regions like the Mahoney Valley, like Northeast Ohio, is how do we bring the cost of that transit on demand within reason? How do we find public-private partnerships that allow us to embrace the innovation that is readily available in the marketplace. So you look at a, a number of small towns across America have embraced this mobility innovation around what happens if we stopped doing our fixed bus routes and started thinking more dynamically around these technologies. Not the least of which to envision five, 10 years down the road on what autonomous vehicles will look like. And if we're not planning for that future today and investing in some of the infrastructure and capacities that we no doubt need our friends in Columbus to hear. We no doubt need to have local practitioners pilot. But the example that I think is facing us is that in a community like Trumbull and Mahoney County, trying to connect people to open positions, of which there's a lot, transit is the missing ingredient, and we must use it as an opportunity to think about innovation that's in this space and what might a pilot and or other examples look like to show what's possible on better connecting people to jobs. And then how do we then use this next governor that's coming in in a matter of months to really lift up a pilot that says now the challenge is how do we scale it? A suggestion. This question is also for Kevin. We'll just keep it going. I read the Two Tomorrows report. I thought it was great. And I thought your assessment of it before when we talked was good because it's, it's not a downer report. It really is fair in the sense that it highlights... I think, the, you know, realistically what's happening here from growth but also from exclusion, one of the recommendations in the report for those that have not read it was to create a scorecard of sorts that consistently tracks and measures the metrics of where we're at on all these different fronts. So my question is, in your opinion, who should be the scorekeeper in, in, in regards to that scorecard? Yeah. All of you guys think about that, but Kevin, please, yeah. please do that. Well. I, I would offer that it's the data wonks that can get you regression analyses and various metrics that make most of us glaze over. Uh, we attempted to take that same rigorous underpinning of what the metrics could and should be with the scoreboard, and how do we talk about them in English? And so the three main ways that the report calls for kind of understanding what the right scoreboard should be is that we offer, we need a continuously regenerating economy. Second, with good jobs and rising incomes, there's a whole bunch of measures there, for everyone. And there's a whole bunch of measures on how do we think about for everyone. And so I think that this calls for a pretty consistent measurement. Then the question is, is who is tracking that in real time? And who's evaluating what strategies and initiatives are aimed at moving which one of these metrics. And I think that's much more of a local play, right? It's, I would see it in killing the sports analogy, is that if the scoreboard is those kind of framed out issues, that we need to have new industry and a regenerating economy. 
Well, who's responsible for that? Who's the coach, right? So if that's the scoreboard, who are we seeing coach against that scoreboard? And then if we think about rising incomes and wages for everyone, who's tending to that? And I would offer it's probably not the same entity locally that does all three, but if we have local coaches making the right plays together, you're going to see the scoreboard move in really intentional ways, but it's going to take local leadership that is really close to these issues to be able to figure out um, what play to call when to see the measurement move. Right. We're focused a lot on capital investment, job growth, considering a job is a job is a job, which is a whole discussion for another day, but please read about that in the report. And we need to find better ways to measure, you know, the impact that Angel and his business is having on the economy. How many people are, are working in his shop? How many people are being affected by what he is buying and supplying? How many people, you know, are coming out of Carmela's program and adding good paying jobs in, be it, you know, small scale manufacturing or any kind of, you know, sole proprietorship that can add jobs. So I think we need to all come together to figure that out. That's a big reason. It's a big topic of conversation at, at our table. So any, anything that you guys would like to add as far as what you would like to see so that there is a good reflection of your work going towards you know the total story of what's happening here. It's not just about $890 million being invested in Trumbull County you know, for an energy center. It's about who, who your neighbors what your neighbors are doing and how that's affecting them. So, so the great thing is the data that we're collecting because we're on the front, we're in the you know on the streets, um, is we're making sure that I'll be calling you, but um, how much access to capital um, our our businesses are actually uh, having access to, how many jobs do they create with that. Um, so we're starting to ask these questions, um, and YBI is new with the Minority Business Assistance Center, so. We're just being a, now with the resources that are available at YBI, the impact program can actually be run better, right? So we took that same thing and took it over to our women in entrepreneurship program because we weren't asking these questions. How many jobs did you create? How much access capital did you have? Because a lot of times we look at women-owned businesses as hobbies and not as businesses. So we're treating them more um, and we're seeing more. Now that we're asking these questions, and, and, and being intentional about it, we're seeing them actually access and give us um, actual numbers. So collecting the data, we're doing it on the front end, and then of course we send that data down to the state of Ohio, and they comprise that across the state of Ohio, um, as far as with the Minority Business De Development Division. Um, and then even locally, the Wayne Foundation, they're asking us those hard questions and we're giving it to them so they can actually see what's going on across the valley um, and seeing you know, how we are advancing um, that initiative. Uh, actually, actually, for me, on a, on a less um, technical scale, uh, drive down South Avenue. If you haven't driven down South Avenue for a long time, drive down South Avenue. Um, remember I told you the pizza shop that I bought because somebody got shot in there? Um, there's a, there's a, a company investing $500,000 right next door to me to rebuild laundromats. $500,000. Um, there's more businesses on South Avenue uh, right now. When we got there in, in 99, there was a lot of businesses. Um, right around that 2008, uh, everybody bailed. It was dead. It was a ghost town. Uh, we got more businesses on South Avenue uh, than we've had in a very long time. New businesses are opening up all over the place. So uh, from a from a, a layman's perspective, you know, drive through Youngstown. You, you know, you don't, you don't won't need a report. You can see it. You can see it right with your own eyes. A lot of things are happening in Youngstown. A lot of things going on good. So a lot of uh, the work I do, I hear this word collaboration a lot. Uh, there's a lot of great efforts here in town, whether it's with health, equity, things like that. Collaboration seems to be very important. So thinking about our theme tonight, the Rust Belt Resurgence and who really benefits. Can the panel discuss the role that collaboration will play in seeing that everyone benefits? Yeah, I'll make a, a, a quick example that for the pizza shop and the laundromat that he was just talking about to be successful, it takes everyone in this room and it takes systems to be designed with intentionality. And part of that intentionality needs to be collaborative. And as an example, 
you know, economic development sometimes has this binary view that says traded sector, where you make things and you sell it, versus population-serving businesses that serve local people. There's like a pretty big divide between those two. But they're actually really interconnected. And if we don't see our economic growth in that connected lens, I think we're missing an opportunity. Because the example works if there was, you know, 10 people at this table and everybody has $1, and you open a business, we may all open up businesses, but is $10 enough to keep all of our businesses open if there's only 10 people in this example? And the moment that somebody buys something from Amazon, that's economic leakage, it's one less dollar in this community. When you have whole sections of the community that don't have access to any dollars because they spent it all, that makes the laundromat have a harder time to do business. It makes the pizza, the pizza you know, spot have a harder time making ends meet. But when we work together and we strengthen the economy and we have individuals that are making living wages, it's better for the pizza shop, it's better for the, you know, the dry cleaner, and it's better for the communities as a whole. And so we're intrinsically linked. The question is, is how do we have planful strategies that say yes and? So how do we do this together? And I think there's ways to see the economy whole and to design it in that way instead of just looking at particular sections of the economy. And just, just like you just said, it is important. You know, everybody yeah. that's, that's here in this room um, obviously has an interest in what we're talking about, and that is uh, economic development and, and, and boosting what's happening here in the Rust Belt, in our part of the Rust Belt. Um, the, the best thing that we could do is... Uh, but one, as entrepreneurs, as, as business owners, is not to be haters. <laughs> help your, the, new, the new generation coming up. When they ask you something, you got to help them. You, you got you to look out for them. You got to direct them um, the best that you can. Most importantly, though, is uh, you come down here and you buy some hot dogs off an independent-owned uh, business person. Um, you drive through the cities uh, that you care about and you spend those dollars. Uh, we, we cannot make it. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's all based on all of us. You know, my wife and I, when we, we go out to eat, our thing is we go to independent places. We, we got a business in Youngstown. We live in Youngstown. We spend our money in Youngstown. Um, why? Because we believe in Youngstown. And we believe that Youngstown um, has been through uh, a hard time. And it's time for a resurgence here in Youngstown. And the only way that's going to happen... Um, is to support Youngstown through the businesses, uh, through the people coming up, um, and direct them on over here to get that money. <laughs> yeah, but the biggest thing you could do, if, I mean, if, if, if everybody in here doesn't leave with anything other than support, I mean, maybe you might not be from Youngstown, maybe you're from Girard, support Girard. Maybe you're from Boardman. Stop in, you, you guys drive by, we're driving by these independent operated businesses. You, if you want to re see a resurgence, you have to go in there. You have to go in there. If you're not going to buy something, say, say hello. You know, next time you need something, you know, they'll, they'll help you. you know, but if, if we truly want resurgence in the Rust Belt, and that includes Youngstown, and that includes Girard, Liberty, all these areas, we have to be willing to, to support the small businesses in the area. You have to be willing to do it. I think today is a, tonight was awesome. I think um, it's a start of a conversation of mindset change because you now recognize the fact that um, there are some people who have been left out. So with that, I think that if we can just leave here and be intentional on making connections and be intentional on remembering those who we might not normally remember, if we can be intentional on trying to make sure that there is, and literally, African-American, Hispanic, Native American, Asian person at the t If you can be intentional about doing that, I think that's where it starts at. A lot of times we are just so in tune to our what we've always done type of mindset. And when we do that, we'll get what we've always gotten, which is what we have now, right? So the two, you know, he started off, you can either be average or you can be excellent. And with diversity, and I'm going to include this, you, when you start being diverse, you... 
you can make, as a business owner, you can make more money versus just targeting a, a, a particular group. When you are doing business with just one particular type of clientele, that's all you're gonna get. You might get higher prices if you don't actually go out. You actually, when you diversify your vendors, you actually are able to get a lower price on the back end and then thus saving money. You know, if, if, if the cake is always $50 over at this cake shop, but I always go there because that's my girl's cousin or what, that lived down the street, but there's the same cake, better quality, up on the south side of Youngstown, that's $25. You're almost hurting yourself. Okay, so that's, that's it for me. I'm very passionate about what I do, so. I want to thank all of our panelists. If we could give our panelists a round of applause. I want to thank the City Club of the Mahoning Valley, all of the steering committee, and all of you. As Carmela, Kevin, and Angel said, this is the beginning of a conversation. Let's keep it going. There are several avenues to do that. Please make sure that you pick up a copy of The Two Tomorrows or visit the fund's um, website. Please stop by and get your pizza on South Avenue at Millie's and learn more about um, what Carmela's got going on with her Minority Business Cent uh, Assistance Center and uh, Women in Entrepreneurship at YBI. And please, I encourage all of you, um, I have some, I should have set these out. We have conversations like this about uh, what influences our infrastructure planning in our communities through our Citizens Advisory Board at Eastgate, which is um, run by Sarah Doherty, who is here tonight. Let's keep the conversation going. This isn't going to happen overnight. I appreciate that all of you came out um, tonight to learn more about this and look forward to talking to you more in the future. So thank you very much.